0: Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, state-of-the-art, streamlined studios of Outlaw Radio USA, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, following program produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. True crime uncensored. I'm proud to say I am the legendary Burl Bear. <laughs> with
1: with pride you
0: say that. Jeanette, with by the pride. Way. Oh, how you are so able to my summon my pride and joy.
1: How you are able to summon the depths of pride are beyond me. That man babbling incoherently is Howard Lapidus, manager
0: man. to the star. Thank you. Stars. Uh, the stars. the uh, Mark C G Boyer is our fact checker. You're not gonna let me finish, are you? I'll oh, go ahead. Finish. I don't even want to finish. Well, you're finished. Uh, yeah, yeah. You don't look finished. <laughs> well, speaking of finish,
1: we, <laughs> why is this night different from all other nights? Our, 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 our guest is rapidly becoming a co-host here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's all, not only a famous
0: true crime writer, but a well-known werewolf battler. Well, there's that,
1: and and uh, and guest on this show so many times, and and also um, uh, I saw some promotion someplace. About him guesting on uh, Dan Zavatsky's so, so, yeah. show, and, but not the, the promo. No <laughs> promo about being but on our, our show. And, I think he's and ashamed. That pissed me off. To be perfectly <laughs> honest with you, so that's great. not true. No, Steve, I'm coming into this thing with a big attitude. I really, I, I
2: really <laughs> that's not true. I posted about you guys.
1: I said I warned people. Oh, you warned them. Well, you see, you know what you're in for. Well, you think you know what you're in for. <laughs> You think we're going to talk yeah. about your, your your latest damn book, which I can give a damn about. Well, we never do. I don't know why I
2: expect that. <laughs> so what do you
1: think about the upcoming football season? Yeah, yeah, the yeah, football season. Fun. Talk yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah that, that'd be good. Mark C.G. Boyer, of course, professional. I want to stuff.
0: talk about the fat old man rotting away in a Colorado prison. I don't want
1: to talk about it. I think that guy yeah. is one big a-hole, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and steve jackson chose to write a book about a massive massive Able. evil and and well we'll talk about that
0: well steve? he's not a he's not a smooth talker much anymore but this guy the guy who's riding away in prison at one time he was almost as charming as i
1: yeah yeah that's steve thank you for for saying that because it, it backs up what we all think what, that That's I'm a smooth right. talking son of a
0: bitch? No, no, no. What
2: I, what I started right. to say. When that, I started that is charming in the least.
1: Say, yeah. And, Steve, I was talking to our, our executive producer, Magic Man Allen, before the show about what a loon Burl is. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I actually said, loon is much better. Yeah, then what? A loon is better than charming? Or? No, it's better than where he is. God only knows what this guy is. But, you know, he's here. He's our, um, he claims to be the, the host. You know darn well I've taken over the show. Is <laughs> <laughs> it coup d'etat or a... No, uh, it's just no, that no.
0: he just doesn't stop talking, and I'm too polite to interrupt. <laughs> That's right. And,
1: and, and the last thing I have to say, and then and then we'll get down to business, is is Burl's still afraid to, to say that this is, in fact, the number one true crime show in worldwide radio and it, and we thank our friends at guinness uh, book of records and and we are that and dan can say whatever he wants to say <laughs> and he does a fine show we like his product it's a little dry but we like him okay he's
2: in canada
0: or something isn't he he's yeah he's in a, in a foreign country and in, you know how he in america Winnipeg. feels about <laughs> foreigners he's in Winnipeg, yeah.
1: which is the coldest place i've ever been on the planet earth
0: Anyway, see, come down if, here and run for president
2: yeah he could <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you know, uh, they, you know, they're they're saying that uh, assisted uh, assisted suicide is legal in Canada, and so for all the people that uh, are saying if Trump becomes president, they want to kill themselves, they can, or they want to go to Canada and now they you can. do both. Do both,
0: yeah. <laughs> do, both.
2: do two birds with one stone. There
0: you go. Yeah. Okay. Why don't we get down to true crime? Well, you know this Steve Jackson guy, the guy who's on the phone. Yeah. He said more New York Times bestsellers than I have and so I'm jealous well the reason for that is is he cheats no he doesn't I do (laughs) see (laughs) do you like that guy that that has all that money and he so he buys all the copies of his own books no it's easier than that. no my mother does oh god thank god for mothers I got several of them okay now let's the, the new book which is called smooth talker is uh this guy's a real piece of work but charming as can be in his heyday, but, uh, you know, the uh, investigation discovery of uh, fine people did that epic mystery thing, you know, my book and your book as well. And I was watching a clip of that last night about this poor girl who was raped and beaten and murdered in this bar and people thought her boyfriend did it. Right. 22 years. Yeah, tell us, tell us the story on that. That was just so tragic. Well, uh,
2: this case was in
0: 1988, mostly after our... Uh... You're not on a speakerphone,
2: are you? No, I'm not on a speakerphone.
0: Oh, good. So Just I speak right into my... that phone, because I want to get you nice and loud. You're okay, not... Am I, yeah, yeah, you're not am I speaking? Do I That's have better. That's close better. Close better.
1: Much better.
2: Okay. All right. Well,
1: anyway... Uh, worse. It's
2: worse. I... It's worse now. It got worse. <laughs> Could you stop it? See <laughs> 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 All right. So, <laughs> so he wants in a bar. What do you guys expect? You know, it's Saturday or Sunday, one of those two days. So, any anyway. So I'm uh, the skyroy Roy Melison, our our fat asshole, sitting in the Colorado prison. He'd been out of uh, jail for all of oh maybe eight months. And uh, 1988, uh, this girl Charlotte Sourwine down in Walker, Louisiana, um, is her. She's found raped and murdered and beaten. All sorts of horrible things, and for about the next 22 years, her fiancé is uh, the guy under suspicion for doing it, um, pretty much um, trashes his life, and, you know, he community turns its back on him, and friends turn their backs on him, and, you know, he was lucky to have a few really tough friends and a good family, but otherwise, uh, you know, how would you like to live for 22 years, everybody thinking you killed
0: your girlfriend? That's pretty horrible. It was. He really messed him up. He didn't married someone else for a while, but man, his life was screwed up and there's no way he could get that back.
2: Well, he, you know, he had several marriages and several relationships. You have to think that all of this probably had something to do with that. Uh, he does as well, um, drugs and alcohol and all that sort of thing. But, you know, sometimes we only think about uh, the victims or their immediate families and, um, as uh, as a victim, but this guy was as much a victim as anybody for all those years. Is
1: he is he clean and sober now?
2: Uh, yeah, he is. He actually he had a child with one of these um, other women, and uh, and managed to uh, use that to turn his life around. Very strong guy, Vince LeJune. Are you and, are you uh, in
1: touch with him?
2: Uh, yes, I am. Uh, it's uh, it's been a very interesting. I'm hoping to get him out here in. Uh, I'm in Colorado now, but out in Oregon, to, uh, salmon fish with me and drink a few beers and talk about all of no, that you
0: don't want to get drinking those beers, though, so Steve. Well, no. I,
2: I know. Doesn't everything I do uh, since yeah, in I, the uh Yeah, I've been or... with you.
0: I know. what I...
2: <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, it, it, it's the darkness of what I do. I you know I have to I have to drink a lot. No, I don't. No,
0: you don't drink, um, you don't drink what
1: too much. Do you, what, what do you talk about with him when, when you talk to him? Where, where does this go? Because he had 22 years of hell where he was accused of a crime that he did not commit.
2: Well, originally I was talking to him, obviously, for the book and the story and, and trying to find out what is it like to be under suspicion for— I mean, it wasn't just a murder. It was a, it was a brutal murder. And, uh, and to have this one— police officer detective in his town who would tell people, you know, I know he did it, I'm going to get him one day. And and actually, many years later, um, some other police officers told him, you know, you're lucky not to be in prison because basically there's 30 boxes of evidence in the, uh, the police uh, evidence room and there's about 15 pages that have anything to do with anybody else and all the rest of that is, you know, you and following you and taking notes on you and you know the fact that he wasn't put in prison is probably more of a miracle than anything else for this. But um, you know, so but you know, after the interviewing and all that sort of thing for the book, we've just you know sort of talked about life and and uh, 22 years of of uh, this sort of thing hanging above your head and and how do you go on? You know, do you uh, turn to drugs and alcohol? Do you? how do you put another relationship together? Because every relationship he went into, obviously, is, um, you know, well, he's the guy that killed his fiance, so, you know, that hangs then, over you from the beginning.
1: There's two days that I'm interested in, and maybe you know about them. The, the day that he f- was first found out he was accused of killing her, uh, although, you know, never tried to convict it, but, but uh, uh, uh and then the day that he found out that, our dear, that our real dear friend uh, uh, was was caught, and he's off the hooks. And so the, the nightmare was over. Um, well,
2: I think that first day sort of is a realization over a few days. You know, it, it, it's normal for uh, the police in an in a instance like this is that they're going to go look at, the, you know, the spouse or the boyfriend or because, you know, let's face it, that's, that's often who did do these sorts of things. Um, you know, that this is a really tiny town at that time, Walker, Louisiana. I mean, you, would, you wouldn't have noticed it if you'd driven by it. And uh, so the fact that there's some serial killer uh, came into your town, happened to beat this girl, take her out to the woods and do what he did, um, you know, how often does that happen? So. Yeah, you're going to look at the boyfriend or the husband or something like that. But it took him a little bit of time because he kept willingly going down to talk to the uh, detectives and you know doing what he thought was trying to be helpful. And only after a while did he realize that you know they're asking me the same question in different ways and kind of jumping on me when I don't answer exactly the same way. Um, you know, so that's when he realizes that I'm the chief suspect. And, uh, and, and from then on, and then, you know, they did a bunch of things that were, you know, trying to turn his friends against him, him against his friends. Um, so his life became that for 22 years. Now, maybe it wasn't as intense the entire time, but for 22 years, you know, he'd still see people in grocery stores pointing to him or anywhere else, or every once in a while the police would call him down because somebody had said something, and he had a... One of his uh, ex-wives, after a number of years had passed, who actually told the cops that he had confessed to it. To oh, her, great. You know, because she was mad at him. So, you know, that sort of, that, that just you know, and it, it, to me, I, you know, I think I would have moved, uh, you know, I would have moved. Oh, to, yeah, you
0: know, I, I'd be in uh, New York or well, something. Yeah, why didn't, he, why didn't he move?
2: You know, he, he saw it as, a, you know, you're not, I didn't do it. You're not chasing me out of here. This is my now. Uh, this is where I, you know my my grandfather was raised my father was raised I was raised uh, you're not chasing me out of here for something that I didn't do he's like you know he's a Louisiana boy he likes yep. that that part of the country and he's not you're not chasing him out they chased just, him
1: they chased him out of his mind they chased him into alcohol and drugs they chased him correct. away from the life that he he once knew
2: right and, and being comfortable and being able to you know I mean you, you know yeah. Yeah, you you do like Pearl and you go on Match.com or something. And, uh, <laughs> the very first, very first thing, you know, you're sitting at the table with your your date, and she asks you about her, about yourself, and you have to say, well, I'm I'm accused of murdering my fiance. Um, you know, it's just a, I, I know I'm being light there, but at the same time, that yeah, that's not
0: a good conversation starter.
2: Right? You know, it's it's that, and, it, and if you don't tell her, then she's going to hear it from somebody at some point. So. That's his life. And, you know, yeah, I would have, uh, I think me, I would have moved somewhere uh, to get away
1: from it. Through all the marriages, however many there were, the relationships that he had, how did the women that he was with react to the fact that he kept the murder victim's picture on his desk?
2: You know, I think it was just one of those things where it's like, accept it, um, or don't. And, you know, maybe that's why they didn't laugh, too. Um, he did keep, uh, her, her photograph on his desk and, um, you know, and, and to me, that's another part of his courage is that, you know, he refused to, to let this go. This is somebody I was in love with and, and somebody I've been accused of doing this horrible thing too, but, um. I'm not gonna let the cops or my neighbors or anybody else or or new girlfriends or wives uh, you know, chase her out of my life. Did he I think conf- that's
1: just, go ahead. Did he confess to you that she was the love of his life?
2: You know, um, they were twenty four years old when they when they were together and you know she was the love of his life at twenty four years old. I, he's a very reflective guy. You know, he's he's kind of always, you know, is is me Would I have gone through a series of girlfriends and wives no matter what, even if I would married Charlotte and that sort of thing? Or, or did I do this um, with other women because uh, of what happened with Charlotte? And, and, and he's reflective enough to say that, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's part of my personality that I don't uh, hang with relationships anyway. But, you know, I suspect and I think most people would suspect that, you know, relationships are tough enough as they as they are without that
0: sort of thinking well let's uh, let's talk now about the guy who really did it oh no, well let's finish up with, with how the second part of Howard's question which is how did he respond when he was informed that they got the real guy and did the cop who was always saying I know you did it ever apologize to him
2: well uh, he's sitting around one day in 2011 with his buddy sort of having a, a, a few beers and he gets the cop a call from uh, Major Stan Carpenter, who was the Chief of detectives at this time, and he says, uh, we need you to come down to the station, we want to, t- there's been a break in the Charlotte Sowerwind case, and, and he's kind of rolling his eyes thinking, yeah, you know, how many times have I been told this, Where come on down, they want to ask you some more questions, or, you know, they have some, you know, somebody that they suspect, do I know him, or, I mean, you know, at, by this time he does not expect him to be working in his favor right. or, or anything else like that. So he actually, you know, and then they say, no, there's we've actually caught somebody with DNA. So he breaks down for a little bit, but and his buddy's gonna help him get himself back together. But even as he's driving home that night, he's thinking this is just a trick. You know, they're just gonna try to get me down there, um, ask me questions one more time and one more way, and try to. And the next thing I know, I'll be arrested and that sort of thing. So, it wasn't until he went down there, and the next day, this uh, this Major Carpenter, uh, who's a uh, very interesting guy. I mean, he he chokes up when he talks about the story about how this poor guy had to, uh, you know, live with this for 22 years. Um, you know, one of those one of those guys you hope is hope is going to be the cop in your case. Um, he wasn't the one who was after him for all those years. That guy had retired and know that guy has never apologized. He's never even said, hey, I was just doing my job, and, hmm. you know, you were, the, you were the best suspect there was. Uh, you know, he's just, and nobody has. Nobody nobody in this town who turned their backs on him, including some supposedly best friends and all that sort of stuff, has ever apologized and, and uh, said, you know, sorry, I, I should have been more supportive or anything else.
1: Can he stick his tongue out at everybody and then? leave? <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, you know, seriously. I mean, it's, uh, there's so much uh, sympathy that you can have for this character. Uh, he, he really exists. Let's 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 move on, though. That your book is called "Smooth Talker." This is about the real guy that did this. Why why do you call him that?
2: Well, he just it, it was interesting in that um, I had originally heard about Roy Mellinson, who is this guy, uh, serial killer, ba- way back in 2000 when I did a book called No Stone Unturned, and uh, he was, uh, he'd been caught for, uh, through some great detective work, um, for a murder he committed in 1974 on Michelle Wallace, and uh, and he, at that time I'd heard some things about, oh, this guy was real quick, he could uh, smooth talk his way into any situation, and, and so back then I didn't think a lot about it, I kind of wrote a little bit about the case, and Was included in this book with some other cases, and it wasn't until um, 2011 when some of this other stuff started coming out because of the DNA testing um, that I uh, I heard from um, that that, you know uh, all these other stories about oh this slick talking guy, this smooth talking guy, not particularly handsome, he's kind of you know thinning hair and. Um, but he was
0: incredibly polite and so helpful.
2: Well, you know, he's got that southern accent going for him. You know, all those southern boys, they can get away with all sorts of stuff. But, um, you know, he, so he had this stuff, and, yeah, he was a good Samaritan. You know, one of his early race cases, uh, the girl would pull into a gas station that was out of gas. And yeah, so, it was real, he was
0: real helpful. All right. Hey, Steve, we got to take a 60-second break to fix his flat tire. We'll be right back with you in 60 Seconds, A True Crime Uncensored.
1: Only in the forest can you see this. And this. And this. But nothing beats the moment you see that. That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities.
2: I didn't know it could do that!
1: Because one trip to the forest can spark a world of difference. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours
0: at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you, and discover cool things to do when you go, like hiking, canoeing, fishing, or camping. Or create your own adventure with family and friends, and you might just see this your moments out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. That's discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council.
1: Hi, this is Frank Hagan, the gay guy from Outlaw Radio. If you're on a cell phone, and I know you do because you probably got Grinder on there, but it's time for you to add another app. That app would be for Outlaw Radio through the courtesy of radioloyalty.com my suggestion is that you upload that app for free mind you yes totally free app in order to be able to listen to us the demons of decadence every saturday afternoon from three to six pacific standard time or pacific daylight time and you'll have the opportunity to listen to us smoke drink and interrupt each other which we do a really good job of doing so once again radioloyalty.com to pick up your free app Outlaw Radio. Once again, this is Frank. So get off a grinder and get on to Outlaw
0: the legendary Burl Bear raised on records born to rock and roll in my spare time I write best-selling true crime books very similar to Steve Jackson. (laughs) Oh, he's got more New York Times bestsellers than I do, which pisses me off. But that's a whole other story. My latest masterpiece written with Frank C. Jr. is A Taste for Murder, which according to Amazon.com, it's got one of those red bestseller stickers next to it. I like that. That means a lot to me because I figure next month, i'll get a real nice check (laughs) i hope so anyway and i hope you write uh, you read the book and buy the book you can get it in paperback you can get an e-book and also an audio book a taste for murder by burl bear and frank c gerardo jr from wild blue press the standard of the wild blue press industry and while you're at it pick up man overboard the counterfeit resurrection of phil champagne and headlock a jeff reynolds mystery back to
1: true crime uncensored i've heard of it you know my question is this yes when you get that big check are you giving 87.5 percent of it to magic mad allen hell no well, you, but you, you're supposed to. Rick Burl-Bear and, uh, and Howard Lapidus. You're supposed to give me 15%. So what you do is when that check comes in, you go into your pocket for 2.5%. And, yeah, and I got split that but, with Frank. Yeah, and then there, split the, there's yeah. that
2: there's usual California map there,
1: 87.5 plus 15%. <laughs> <laughs> I think I see nothing wrong with that math featuring you Mark C.G. Boyer. I don't get any of it. Oh, you're gonna start with our governor now? That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, watch, you. Wait, wait till the next show, okay, right. Steve? Our
2: idiot.
1: Yeah. So, so um, yeah, Pearl, you owe, you owe us that money. <laughs> Discuss that with my manager. He looked out for my best interest. I did it at three this morning. I was looking in the mirror and I said, "You know, I got to pick up some more money for Pearl." <laughs> uh, which, uh, you know, speaking of money, uh, go into your pocket. Yeah, me or him? I'm talking to the audience. Oh. it's worth it to uh, to uh, to download or go to a store and 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 buy steve jackson's book smooth talker don't read it because that's a waste of time <laughs> <laughs> just buy it just buy it yeah, that's right. right. just have it on your shelf. that's right it looks really cool
0: yeah, yeah. You, one of the great bookends of the 20th century
2: yeah right <laughs> hold down some of those papers on your
0: desk that's right but steve you, you like my theory there right
2: yeah, I do. Yeah, you know, we I, don't
0: care if they read them. We just want them to buy them. That's it. right. <laughs> That's <laughs> the bias theory of, of readership, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, but meanwhile, back to our story. This guy, uh, Melanson, I was looking at, it at the timeline of his crimes, and you know what, Steve, and you probably feel the same way, if you look at how long he waits to rape somebody after he gets out of prison, which you could almost use as a stopwatch, Uh, He's probably done a hell of a lot more killings than are on the list.
2: Oh, yeah. I I don't think there's any doubt of that. I mean, you know, there's these periods of months between getting out of prison and being caught. But uh, the the fact of the matter is, is he, you know, just did it again and again and again. And, um, you know, and when he had a chance and he got caught, sometimes he would get caught within one month, and then, um, well, the murder out in Napa Valley was uh, in July of 1974, and then he murdered Michelle Wallace in August 1974, so, you know, you do the math on on what was more likely uh, his his, is, you know,
0: timing. Yeah, he's not doing years between rapes and murders here. uh, I don't think he's doing weeks. No, there's a lot more bodies out there that belong to him.
2: He he was uh, interviewed not that long ago by some uh, uh, cops in Grand Junction about uh, another 1974 murder that would have fallen right between uh, the the Napa Valley murder and the one in Colorado. So that would have given him about, you know, two weeks in between.
0: Jeez, well, everybody yeah. needs a hobby. But this guy's technique, I mean, if, uh, there was that one young woman whose car broke down at the side of the road. She had a flat tire. He stops. He helps her. He fixes the flat tire for her, and then he rapes and murders her.
2: Right. Takes her back and forth between Louisiana and Colorado for several days doing all of this. But there so. was
1: air in the tire. Everything was fine. Yeah, <laughs> I
2: mean, right. He, right. Right, right. No problem driving.
0: Right. So
1: this seems to be the
0: the guy's ace in the whole part of the expression is that he is a smooth talker. He's charming. He's helpful, and he can just worm his way into your home, into your life, into your car.
2: Yeah, it, you know, it's kind of a weird thing about it. Like a couple of his rape victims initially get away from him by. Eventually, they talk him. You know, he's kind of a lot of these guys. You know, they kind of spend up their their rage or whatever it is and. And they're kind of trying to figure out what they're going to do next type stuff and and in a couple of these cases uh, the girls managed to say you know convincing that hey it's all been fun and you know I'd like to see you again type stuff and and managed to talk their, themselves into being released I think it's kind of after those when he realized that you know no they're not you know wanting to be his girlfriends later on that he realizes
0: he has to start killing him as well as raping them. so. Yeah, he doesn't want them uh, coming after him. He's not buying the I love you now.
1: I, I've, I've got a question. There's one of the cases I saw where um, he wouldn't show up for court. And they had to right. extend a phone line to his jail cell so he could talk to his attorney. Uh, and uh, you, you know I'm a real novice at this gr- true crime thing, but this is something that I've never seen or understand. Can you explain that?
2: Well, you know, um, that's from the show Wallace case, and he refused to show up because he's not going to show up wearing a shock band. And now, you know, his reasoning is, oh, it's humiliating that I have to wear it. I think his reasoning is, is that he wanted to be able to try to escape from the jail, I mean, from the courthouse. But anyway, he's not going to show up wearing the shock band um, in court. I've I've actually seen that before where, uh, you know, there's a case out here in Denver, but that one was because the guy said he was going to kill his attorney, kill the judge, kill every cop in the, the courtroom courtroom. So basically, he was told he could only watch his uh, his trial from the cell. And um, and I've seen other guys. They refuse to. You know, you don't have to attend your own trial. You know, there's there's you you have a the the right to not attend your own trial. So. That's what happens with some of these guys, and then they all pipe the trial into the cell and, you know, and then they call their attorney. But that's what he did in the Michelle Wallace
0: case. Well, I can I see the reasoning of his argument is if he shows up in shackles and all that, that prejudices the jury.
2: Well, it's not showing up in shackles, That nobody does that anymore. Every single defense attorney going into a, a trial makes the motion to that that's going to prejudice the jury I, don't, I can't tell you the last time I saw a defendant actually wearing a jail jumpsuit. And, sh- and You know, they may be shackled, but, you know, the, the jury never sees any of that. They're escorted in early, and, and they're sitting there. But they all get to wear civilian clothes, which we, of course, all pay for, you know. And um, You know, they have some, they have nicer suits and shirts than I do, which is saying a whole lot since I shop at goodwill. But... Um, you know, they they sit there in civilian clothes as if they're civilians, and uh, and then all those clothes go back to Goodwill or wherever they get them from. And, uh, and
1: well, stuff. But I, I OJ had a, w- a wardrobe department for crying out
2: loud. Oh yeah, yeah, no, they, they all do. Yeah, they all get uh, plenty of money to do that with, and, and it. And the funny part is, is that if the prosecution witness happens to be a a jailbird or something like that, he has to show up looking however he does. And, uh, you know, he's wearing his inmate jumpsuit and everything else, but the, the defendant, because there's the presumption of innocence, he gets to look like he's innocent, he gets to wear whatever,
0: you know? Well, that makes sense, because we are supposed to presume they're innocent. Speaking of which, I'm sure you saw this guy that just got released that uh, was convicted of a 1957 murder, and who was it, wasn't him?
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, you never know. Um, I mean, you know, this uh, the whole thing with DNA these days, it, it, it's pretty amazing. It's working both ways, actually, you know. My guy, Nullinson, here, he ends up uh, getting two more murder raps on him because of uh, DNA. Um, or he, 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 actually, he was up for probation in 2012 because of the old pods and would have been up in 2017 again, and, and is, but... Because of DNA, you know, he's going to leave uh, prison in a wood box. Um, but on some of these other things, it's exoneration. And um, so it's, you know.
0: What yeah, gets yeah. me, though, is the prosecutors who say, we didn't need DNA to convict him. We don't want to look at the DNA to let him loose. That, that's
2: that's silly to me. I mean, and that's, but that's all become part of what's changed in the justice system. You know, the defense lawyer is supposed to be uh, zealously representing his clients. Yeah, sometimes they step over the line. We think what the linebackers they are. But, you know, the prosecution um, is supposed to be after justice and the truth. You know, and if the justice and the truth is this guy uh, is not guilty, then we shouldn't be charging him. And if we find out partway through it um, that, you know, he's innocent, we shouldn't be still trying to convict him just because we can't. You know that their, their, their whole thing should be as well if DNA will exonerate him, then uh, more power to it, and, and too bad for us. You know, but yeah,
0: let's go get uh, the real guy. Yeah,
2: but but that's all changed, and a lot of that changed with the O.J. Simpson trial. It's like who's going to win here? You know, it's not not a win. Uh, it's not supposed to be a win lose thing. Prosecution is supposed to be getting the correct guy, not any guy and and but the defense you know the defense is partly responsible for to it, for that too is you know they pulled a bunch of bullshit, and the judge let them get away with it and uh you know so it's it's our our system has gone from you know the prosecution has one obstacle to to overcome and the defense has an entirely different one too both of them are just trying to win
0: yeah, that, uh, every prosecutor I've talked to, with the exception of one, so I can't say every, every but one, has acknowledged that they have been told to prosecute someone that they in their heart of hearts did not believe was guilty.
2: Right. I, you know, I, I write those, uh, I write some uh, crime thrillers with a guy named uh, Robert Tannenbaum who was a former homicide uh, uh, chief of the New York City District Attorney's Office and. And when he was prosecuting or had ran the office, he said, "A, you have to have the admissible evidence to find somebody guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. But you also have to be convinced beyond any and all doubt that the guy is actually guilty. And if you don't have both of those, then don't prosecute." Well,
0: that's the right and, way to do it.
2: Well, it's because it's not—it's not supposed to be. A, everything is really, and the prosecution will. Uh, Prosecutors these days, who are a lot of them are lazy. Some of them are very good, but prosecutors these days are, um, you know, it's it, it, it's so much about winning that if they, you know they, if they cheat a little bit then that's okay. If, if you know they don't really believe it, but they can get the get the the case down then that's okay. And and that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way it's set up. But but the prosecution has so much in their favor. You know, by the time you get to a trial prosecution should win. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's ridiculous that they don't win because you shouldn't be going to trial unless you have so much evidence that's going to make it uh, work that, you know, it's, you, you really shouldn't lose. You
0: know, then you have but, situations where the, someone will shop a case around to a variety of prosecutors. We've seen that done here in the L.A. area. Finding one who will take the case. Uh... And a lot of them will turn it down, turn it down, say no, 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 and then they'll find someone willing to do it.
2: Right. Well, sometimes they're trying to make a, a name for themselves in the office. They're, you know, or they're trying There's a good publicity case where they can get out there and, uh, you know, maybe get onto a private firm later on and stuff. I mean, L- L.A. cases in the first place. I mean, how long does it take to try a, a murder case in L.A. these days? It's like two, three months or something And. Most murder trials you move through in three or four weeks, you know, but Southern California has got, gotten to be the, the circus of all trial courts.
1: Well, why do, why do you say that? Because then there's normal things and then there's celebrity things. Are you are you mixing everything into one or are you talking about celebrity crime? Uh, no, it, it's everything. There's
2: a, there's a case down there right now, what is it, the Grim Sleeper case or something like that? Yeah, the
1: Grim Sleeper. Uh,
2: yeah, and uh, I think that case is going to go on for three months. And you know, and and big time trials at other places take two weeks, three weeks, you know. And and why is that? It's because the judges have no control in Southern California, you know. And everybody, it doesn't matter if you're you're, whatever you are, you you, you every trial down there takes forever. I mean, it's, it's I I I I do trials, cover trials all over the country, and Southern California has got to be the absolute worst. For long distance trials, marathon so, so did trials.
1: You, have you answered the, the why question? Why is that? Anybody know?
2: Well, well, I think part of it is uh, the judges have no control over the, uh, the system. They, you know, the defense lawyer or the prosecution, so they am going to pull 150 witnesses on the stand. All of them saying exactly the same. It's like the judge is like, oh, okay. Well, that that gives me 150 lunches. Like so, so you, you're you know, you're, you're blaming this
1: you're blaming this on the judges. Well, I think, there's, I think
2: there's some of that. Um, you know, I haven't done a, a huge study of it. What I've, I've mostly just noticed that it's like trials in Southern California take three months. That would take two weeks or three weeks somewhere else. And, you know, and, uh, talk, talk to most of the media who covers trials with the rest of the nation. It's, it's sort of that, well, I don't want to do a Southern California case because, you know, those people take three
0: months to do a trial I'll tell you another uh, I don't maybe this goes on elsewhere a very good uh, acquaintance of mine was uh, hauled in, to, in the middle of the night by the cops and uh, he thought maybe his uh, his brother-in-law who was always uh, getting in trouble uh, or stepbrother whatever it was was what they wanted to talk to him about and says no no we're, we're charging you with murder and he has no idea what they're talking about this is
1: one of your pals is that what we're yeah here? yeah this is <laughs> years, ago. This was years, years ago you're selling this to us like you know this is a very good uh, yeah,
0: i could call him on the phone right. right now in fact i hope to have him on the show to tell about this yeah. but essentially uh they they say well, we think you killed so-and-so and the description of the guy who did it does not match him at all. The guy who did it, you know, 6'5", 185 pounds. This guy's nickname is Flacco because he's a skinny little guy, about, you know, 5'4". And he doesn't even match the description. After they knew for sure that he didn't do it, they still held him another three months before they let him go.
1: Well, well uh, if, you we're, know, we're, off, we're way
0: off topic here. I know, but I just thought I'd let you know that's part of what, what goes on here in California.
1: Yeah. Well, we are hey, Steve, on topic. Steve, Steve to, to kind of focus back in uh, to you, uh, to, to Steve Jackson. Uh, I'm always willing to talk about I know, me. I know. Yeah. Some, somehow I, I figured that and smoked that one out. <laughs> How um, many fish you catch this week? Yeah, I do care less about him <laughs> and his fishing. NecroSearch, talk to me yeah, about that's that's that, awesome. because you've become kind of an expert in that area. Well, um, an expert, and they, uh, about a
2: year ago, invited me to become a, an actual member, which is um, but uh, Neck Research International is uh, a group of scientists and law enforcement people, both uh, former and current, uh, mostly former in this case, and, and just people who have expertise in, in a variety of different fields, everything from botany to uh, insects, to, uh, anthropology to ballistics to aerial photography. Um, but they, they originally formed to uh, find the clandestine graves of uh, murder victims, and, um, or, or in some cases just the remains, or occasionally it's just evidence, but basically it's, it's sort of a many-headed Sherlock Holmes where they all get together, and, and originally back in the 1990s, um, law enforcement didn't really have a, a high opinion of them, they're just sort of another... Uh, group that wanted to help out and that sort of stuff, but they've had a number of cases. And even since I wrote my book in 2002, they've had a number of high profile cases where they've found um, graves and been able to help with uh, prosecutions in, in homicide cases, uh, you know, basically all over the world. They, how, how, does, they've, they've,
1: how, how does NecroSearch figure into Smooth Talker, your latest book?
2: Well, um, in Smooth Talker, they were the, their very first uh, real success case. You know, they're, they're scientists, so they they judge success by different means. But their first success case of finding the remains of a victim was Michelle Wallace, who was murdered in 1974, and they found her remains in uh, 1994 um, on a side of a mountain by studying the botany and the geology and um, and putting that together with law enforcement reports, uh, and, uh, and basically they found her skull, and then they found the remains of her body, and this is one of those cases where the prosecutor did not want to go forward until they had, um, the actual body, you know, mm-hmm. uh, one of the obstacles you have to get through in any murder case is the victim actually dead, um, and, uh, so they were able to obviously prove she was dead, and, was it likely that she died in a homicide? And, yes, uh, you know, they were able to show that even if they never got to, were able to determine cause of death because she was found for 20-some-odd years. But, um, you know, so Nectar Search has done that. I mean, they found people underneath the vents, they found people that are buried in in car trunks in a river. Um, You know, it's a, a pretty amazing group, and I'm really... Privilege that I get to attend these meetings because a lot of them are very, um, I don't know if you call it classified, but I mean, they have everybody from the FBI to the uh, alcohol and uh, faculty, with firearms people to regular local cops who come in, they present their cases and tech um kind of questions them a lot and then determines whether they think they could help. You know, my thing is, is that, uh, my role with um, X-Search International is more of uh, uh, their historian and helping them you know, put their records together. And and, uh, and then every once in a while, they let me actually speak and uh, talk about my opinions of what might have happened. And, you know, just from, I mean, I have 25, 26 years of talking to serial killers and, and people like Burl Bear and <laughs> trying to figure out <laughs> crimes and how they happened and where they happened. And that's
0: hey, I, I got a question for you. We both had uh, uh, our books, uh, our cases covered by Investigation Discovery's Epic Mysteries, as did uh, Anthony Flacco and some uh, other great guests I've had here on the show. Uh, were there any big differences between the TV version and your book?
2: Well, no, they, they did not pay a lot of attention to the, uh, the Napa Valley, uh, the Napa uh, murder. Um, some of that had to do with there was a previous television show that had covered some of it and they, they wanted to pay more attention to the, um, the Louisiana case that we discovered earlier. So that was kind of a, that was sort of left off the show. I mean, they, they touched on it, but that in itself was a detective story worth a football by itself. Um, some pretty incredible detective work and. And, uh, and, and it all came back to Michelle Wallace and what happened there. If Michelle Wallace and Kathy Young, the detective in that case, had not solved that case, these other two cases uh, would not have been solved probably. But that was a good one. So that that they, they kind of uh, went fast and furious o- over that case. But otherwise, I thought they did a great job. I don't know about you, Earl, Yeah, I was
1: very, I- very impressed with uh, Epic Mysteries. Oh, they, they've only got 40... 40- Six to forty-eight minutes to deal with a yeah a,
2: well yeah and and they were they were definitely many cuts above some of those shows that I dealt with um, both in the quality of, of how they did things and, and I, I I really enjoy um, Matthew and uh, yeah is he great uh, yeah yeah I mean he had, he had obviously knew the case he obviously had read up on it done his own research. And so, you know, you always appreciate that. Sometimes you get into a, a show where it's obvious the, the guy doesn't know what he's talking about, is doing this because somebody told him to. But I, I, I felt that they were a real cut above um, in many ways.
0: Yeah, and, I felt the same way. I was uh, very, they knew the case inside and out. They, uh, uh, of course, we were real lucky that we were able to get our hands on all sorts of video and audio that no one had ever seen before that uh, Uh, took a court order for us to get it, but we got it. Thanks to Frank, he he just
1: went right in there. Hey, Steve, what's Kathy uh, Young doing these days? What's that? What, what, I'm sorry? Uh, uh, Kathy uh, uh, Young, detective. What about her? She's still on the the job, or uh, what is she? she Well, yeah,
2: she works for the Jefferson County uh, uh, District Attorney's Office, which is um, a little community... Well, not that old, um, uh Just west of Denver, before you get into the mountains. So, basically, in the, the Denver area, um, it, it's well known for the the Columbine high school uh, massacre and, and some other things. But yeah, she's still on the job, and and um, you know she's she's uh, she's a personal friend, but she's um, she's just she's just one of those. You know, if you could name the, the the police officers you want on your force, you know, and you you, you pick this one, you pick that one, and you pick this one. These are the sort of people who, you know, you would want to be police officers. They're they're dedicated. If if anything, they maybe are too dedicated. They're almost too emotionally involved because these cases wear on her. And and I've I've seen this in enough, All my favorite detectives. You know I worry about them because it, this, this stuff does beats on them you know and and they take it to heart she didn't she did not want to do this show um she did not want to do another show involving Michelle Wallace or Roy Mellinson and basically only did it because I asked her to and and because she thinks Roy Mellinson should be exposed for what he is but you know there, we obviously there are some bad apples law enforcement and there are. And they've been getting plenty of uh, bad publicity and stuff. But people like this are like, you know, this is, you know, you want to talk about the bad apples. Why don't we talk about some good apples too?
1: And she's a good apple.
2: She is. And how, does
1: she, how does she relate to um, to this case? Real quick, to the audience. We, we well, spent a lot well, of time she, on her, but I, I just want them to know. Well, she
2: was she was she was the detective that broke the Michelle Wallace case, and it's the Michelle Wallace case. From 1974, and she broke that in 1994 and, and went to trial, and they got Roy Mellinson. If she doesn't break that one, then the Charlotte Sourwine case in Louisiana and the Anita Andrews case in Napa don't get broke, and Mellinson quite possibly gets out on parole. He, I mean, he's still a smooth talker in prison. That guy is still, you know, getting himself into a nice little, oh, I'm going to be in or low security prison oh, I'm just a a helpless old man and and all this sort of stuff. And I tell you, that guy's 74 years old, and if he got out of prison now, he would rape and murder. Oh, he
0: would in a heartbeat. Oh, me too. Yes, if uh, Howard got out of prison. I'll tell you, the, the rave review is coming in for your book. I'm sure I've uh, warmed the cockles of your little heart. Uh, Jacqueline Burchette uh, just did a review. She said, when I had the opportunity to get a hold of a pre-release version of this book, I was thrilled. I started reading it, couldn't put it down. So good, in fact, that I stayed up way too late before work, but it was worth it. Jax has done a fantastic job bringing us the story of an evil, consciously, conscienceless, What that's a new word, a predator named Roy Mellison. <laughs> I can't believe I'd never heard of him before, but by the time you read this book, you'll know all about him. Uh, congratulations on the success of this. You just have one uh, one hit right after another. Well,
2: uh, you know, I'm 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 lucky. I get to do what what interests me and what interests us, and you know, and you know, there I appreciate shows like this. But to I me mean, it, it's interesting. I, I really think that two fine fans are 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 a different sort of reader out there they you know they 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 think a lot about uh these stories and they you know they get into the psychology of them they get into the you know the whys and the whodunits and they play detective but they also are just um you know they're involved people sometimes they they feel a little bad about oh people think I'm weird people like crime crime stories but for the most part the, the majority of them I find are kind of fascinating people in themselves and, uh, you know, thank, thankfully my mom wrote that, that
1: uh, review Before, of my book, yeah, so. you only had to <laughs> yeah. buy her some Chinese food, and she did it, yeah. We've got to get you out west. we got to get you back. Are you coming
0: out here uh, at the end of April to do uh, Caitlin Rother's Dog and Pony Show? I, I am, I am.
1: Well, let's let's, uh, let's go to an instant. Well, do, do, I need,
2: do I need to visit the, the swimming pool again?
1: Yes. <laughs> no, different Different place, different it's pool. It's different place and a much cleaner pool. Oh.
2: And,
0: well, uh, is, it, is it still green? Is there alligators in it? <laughs> yeah, there's alligators, but it's it's uh, it's clean. I think we'll push wow. him in and he can find out. We'll, yeah, we'll wow. in, You can find out. Yeah, I haven't seen Steve a year ago. Was it uh, Steve and Ron Francell and Kaylen Rother and we were all together down in lovely San Diego. You guys, no matter how hard you, they tried to get
1: rid of the you, yeah. you never invite me to those things. I'm not. Well, you're invited me. to those things. We didn't really invite Burl. We no, but I up. crashed the party. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm technically I'm not. I'm not a true crime writer. <laughs> I, I, I strictly write about show well, business. But, but you yeah. know. That's well, the, okay. same it's the same difference. Same thing. It's uh, all right. I I'm hanging with it you. Definitely guys.
2: make it down. Kay, Kaylin's bad about extending, but Kay, Kaylin is worried about me and Burl getting together at any one time.
1: Well, that's. So uh, she, she,
2: she doesn't invite us to the same parties. It's, at the same speaking time, of parties, so. it's,
1: like, it's like going to a, a, a party for the Communist Party. That's the,
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I, I balance Burl out a little bit. I'm a uh, libertarian, so you
0: know. well, there you go. That's <laughs> the perfect political philosophy for a 12-year-old. <laughs> I am. <laughs> oh, thanks, Burl. You're that's, just that's, the man. That's,
2: that's, that's pretty much my philosophy for everything. Is
0: so be a 12 year old. Yes. i be a 12-year-old. I've got to go a little bit more into puberty. And Caitlin is still a hottie. That's oh, there you go. <laughs> she's <laughs> a crime <laughs> hottie and she's a
1: good dancer. She's my, she's my hottie, damn it. <laughs> and there you she's go. A great,
0: she's a great pole
2: dancer, too. Yeah. Oh, there so, you yeah.
1: Now we're talking. I, I like getting you guys going. I really do. This is one oh, hell of a didn't party. hear that. And her mom knows all about Peter Rabbit. There you go. Steve, <laughs> I wish you the absolute best of luck with uh, with Smooth Talker. Uh, I, I am here to sell that book because uh, it, it is just a fascinating story. You, of course, uh, a, a big-time professional writer, and, and I'm kissing your ass because, you know what, I'm thinking maybe I will write a true crime book and you will publish at least half of it. Well, yes,
0: yeah, good. publish half of it. Leave
1: I, off the half where the ending is. Exactly.
0: I, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's got yeah, you know, know. 89 days with Paula Abdul. He hasn't written it yet, but you'd publish that, I'm sure. Wow.
1: Oh, there's, no wow. Sh- there's no shortage of customers for, for you know, my and
2: book. I never had a problem with Paula and the drugs and stuff. I always thought she was hot no matter
1: what. Let me explain something to you, okay? Then you've never met her. <laughs> and I'll, I'll leave it at that. You can go read my book. <laughs> I will write the damn book for Crayon Oh, my God. Yes,
2: please. You know... Oh my God, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. So, okay. yeah, we published that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, I published that in a heartbeat, and I, I, I hooked our there photograph.
1: <laughs> There's all of that and more
2: <laughs> uh, uh, they're
1: not going to be photographs they're going to be sketches about how i felt about her <laughs>
2: oh my god yes i'll send, i'll send you some of my sketches if you send me some of yours there you go <laughs>
1: I'm gonna, i uh, think the I, show I'm is sketchy i'm going to yeah it's funny i i'm going to uh, sketch a, a a picture of my bank account
0: it's, <laughs> yeah. gonna, it's a lack of deposits <laughs> yes
1: uh is going to go in and he's going to uncover something yeah, in there and then,
2: and, and then how it goes out when the uh, lawsuit
1: comes in there you so. go <laughs> Steve, always a pleasure talking to you, sir. Yeah. All right, thank you. You're yeah, welcome. Say hi guys. to Dan Zapanski for us. Yeah, yeah I him, will. Tell him, tell him, you know, Avis was number two. I,
2: I, <laughs> I, I yeah, I, I hope to, I remember to call him at the right
1: time. Yeah, yeah. Don't, for, don't forget, please. Uh, yeah. It's I'm not 20th. even
2: sure what bar I'm in right now. But, <laughs> oh,
0: all right. <laughs> okay. Have fun. <laughs> All right, see ya. Bye. Right. Yeah. Uh, he's always fun to have on He's the show. a great
1: guy, Steve Bye. Jackson, and uh, his book is called Smooth Talker. It's doing very, very well. And it's uh, it's quite a fascinating book, a fascinating guy. And, uh, a and available a, from the same great
0: publisher that publishes the legendary Burl Bear.
1: Well, there's, yeah. uh, because he owns half the publishing company. But that, <laughs> that's, that's full disclosure. Yeah. That's all right. I think oh, it's wait, almost uh, almost time for me to say. Yes, what are you going to say? It's almost time for me to Wayne? actually ask. Wait. Ask. Now. Burl? Yes? What's next? Well, I
0: believe, if my memory serves me well, Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence on Outlaw Radio USA dot com. Hi, this is Meatloaf. Okay, kids, you know what time it is? You know what time